When I write, the world around me stops, and the gears in my head turn at a million miles per second. I write until I can't write anymore, until the page is bursting with so many words and letters and syllables that if I were to fit one more period onto the end of a sentence, the entire page might just burst and send missiles of consonants and vowels flying through the air right back to where they came from. I have to choose what I put down on the page carefully, how the words roll off the tongue, how they mesh with their environment to create cohesive thoughts and sentences that drive forward the story towards its grand or garish denouement. The decision between brief and attaché, or serene and halcyon, lies only in the moment. I can always go back and edit and tweak what I have written, but it's those first words that lick the paper that truly determine the story's ultimate fate. The majority of what I write enters the abyss. The river sticks, the belly of the beast, and it never comes back from its journey to find the edge of the world. It gets swallowed whole by my trash can or the pile of papers labeled, save for later. These papers may seem fine, but fine alone can't save their fate. Among the fallen are stories about a siren coming back from the dead to find her one true love, a road trip to meet a demon or a god, which we may never know and a light switch that has the power to turn off the sun. There is no way to predict a story's fate, but to the members of this stack, I can only bow my head and say a few last words before they join their brethren. Every once in a while, something I write finds its way into no man's land and then back again. I won't touch it or glance at it, but it sits there and waits, begging and taunting and pleading, waiting for one last final stand, knowing it will either publish or perish. And then, when I least expect it, I'll sit at my desk and suddenly the story will unfurl its feathers to the world and the showdown starts with a pop and a bang. The devil paying a visit to collect her leather moccasins, a coin trick that makes the world come alive, or a year in the life of a freak show with Electra the eel woman and Crystal the girl with clear skin. These stories get frozen in time and space, colored marbles and dirt, waiting for me to pick them out and make them whole. Maybe if the gears in my head didn't turn so fast and the words didn't pile up on the paper like snow on mountaintops, it wouldn't take me so long to finish a story. But then again, it wouldn't be something I had written because the stories that I finish are never actually done. I want to write amorphous, ever-changing, mercurial beings that dig deep and stay there, that burrow into the reader and leave them without knowing what to say because he has never read anything like that before. Writing gives me my voice, which is why my stories are in a constant state of flux. Even if I don't change a word or a single letter, they move with me down corridors of memory, through seas of emotion and into worlds both real and imaginary. As I change, they change. But even after days or months or years, I can still find a version of myself, a time traveler from the past, present, or future, sitting there in the text and waiting to speak to me. And I hope that my readers will find versions of themselves waiting to speak to them, too. That was called Picking Marbles from Dirt 
It was written by Blaise Bernstein and published in the University of Pennsylvania's literary magazine, The Pen Review. I thought that since he had such a way with words, which is a quality I so admire, it would be best to begin with his voice, not mine. Though, in reading this out loud, I have discovered that the two are strikingly similar. It fills me with familiarity and sadness. This world is populated with such genuine beauty and grace, wrapped in such delicate mortal shells. Take care of yours, and love the others around you. Darkness finds a way to creep in, but when it does, it is paramount that we counter it and never forget the light and ever so fittingly, an excellent source of the very brightest light is ablaze. I'm Holly. I'm Leslie. And we would be dead. I, huh, this is like another week where I'm breaking that rule that I don't rhapsodize about victims for no reason. But I, I don't know. I also really like him. And it's weird to me to read someone who writes extremely similarly to the way that I do, because that is very similar to stuff that I have written. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is awkward. Not awkward. It's like, it's it's weirdly familiar to me because I'm reading it as an opening, which I do every week with my own writing. And I was just like, oh boy, like we had similar ways of seeing things. Right. Which makes it all the more like, I don't know, poignant, mm-hmm. I suppose. So anyway, hey, Leslie. Hey, Holly. Hey, Fiends. As promised, we are back with another Pride Month case. And this one has been pretty heavily requested. I've gotten it more than more than a couple times. And only recently when it came up again was I like, oh, you know, we should do that like now. Mm. Um, so, but it's been on my list for some time. And this seems like the right moment. This is, of course, the story of Blaze Bernstein's tragic and horrifying murder. God, as I just mentioned, this is another one that really hurts to tell. I was friends with a lot of pen boys in college. Oh, okay. Blaze went to pen. Yeah. I had a ton of specifically artsy, intellectual male friends who went to Penn, who were also performers. Really? I couldn't see that. Weird, right? Isn't that weird? Yeah. Who knew? I spent time on the campus. I spent time in apartments and at Penn events. I dated a boy that went to Penn in college who was a poet and a performer and had a big curious mind and he broke my heart, but that is neither here nor there. But what I'm saying is I feel like I know these boys. And that seems to be who Blaze ran with. So it feels a little bit that even though I never met him, I still kind of know him. Mm. I know that I don't, but it's just a very weird, familiar feeling. Right. Like a, like a memory that exists on the edges of your mind. 
I can tell you that had I actually known Blaze in college, and this is in a world where I get to be younger and we were in Philly at the same time, (laughs) I would have probably followed him around like a puppy. He was so smart and snarky and intelligent and well-traveled and just, he's just cool. Really fucking cool. An artist with a mind for sciences, those are my people. So it was easy for me to drop down into this case and really see within its walls, which I don't like because I can feel the bruise that sits purple around this awful wound. But I think it's a really important story to tell. So we're going to do it. All right. Blaze lost his life at the hands of a misguided young man who found community in a neo-Nazi organization called Atom. Well, they say Atom Waffle, but if you're Waffin, I want to say Waffle. I want to say Waffle the whole time. (laughs) Every time. Every time. I mean, it looks too much like it, right? It's not. And it's German, so it's actually probably pronounced Atom Waffen. Yes. Is my guess. Mm -hmm. But you're going to hear Adam Waffen, and I'm going to call it Adam Waffle. Oh, no. Boy. Don't ruin waffles for me. Now I want a waffle. And my brother. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ruining it all. Yeah. But the term Adam Waffen is loosely translated from its native German into um, atomic weapon. Mm -hmm. They just want to, like, level everything. Their goal is just, like, chaotic violence and to destroy America. Okay. Nice, right? Yeah, we love it. We will explore some of the origins of Atomwaffen and its dangerous beliefs as we lay out this week's crime for you. We will also do our best to paint you a picture of the extraordinary man this dangerous organization robs the world of and encourage you all to blaze it forward, as his family says, with kindness and understanding. And I think we could all use a little kindness and understanding. Wouldn't you agree, Leslie? I sure would. I know that I could. It does wonders for the spirit. And the skin. Oh, tell me more. Mm -hmm. Especially when you distill it down to a concentrate we like to call... Validation, a hill worth dying on. Beautiful. And my skin could really use a little wonder right now. The harsh summer sun. I wrote this assuming we'd have some of it. Yeah. We haven't had too much. Really can take its toll. And I can't afford any more eye wrinkles. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes I say like, other weeks that Holly's looking kind of rough, but like she's looking rough. <laughs> this wasn't even the worst of my weeks. God damn it. No. It's this one forehead wrinkle. I swear to God, I'm going to get it fixed. You're going to see. I mean, we started off strong. It was like filling in and then no. I don't know what happened. I guess you ran out of validation. I guess I did. Oh, boy. I really love also that somebody requested you sing songs specifically for our patrons. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I liked that. So if you, that might be one that I do now. I would love that. If you become a patron at a certain tier, I might be singing a song about you now. Yeah. Because one person asked for it. One person wanted a special song (laughs) about them. Who was it? I don't tell me later. We don't know this person? No, it was an anonymous like form. (laughs) I had people sign out, which is still, which is still up. Yeah. Okay. In our uh, Facebook group. So. I was uh I was asking our listeners mm-hmm. what things they would want if they were to join us over on Patreon. Yeah, we're and, like kinda what kind of things they'd like to judging up our Patreon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what kind of things they might expect to get for certain tiers and things like that. So one of one of the comments was that they would like to get a song sung about them by me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I, I thought was hilarious. I think they're right. <laughs> To ask for it. 
and that you should do it. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> Especially because it means I don't have to do anything. Right. Which is no. nice. I mean, I'm fine with it. I'll, Perfect. I'm really thinking about it. <laughs> well, I went off the rails there. But anyway, so you were telling us about validation and how to get it? Yeah. Wouldn't you know it? Our fiends have the power to provide us with a little of this precious commodity. How, you might ask? I did, yeah. Every week. Simply head on over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and or a friendly review. It really is the only way to move this podcast forward and preserve my very sanity that is hanging on by like, I don't know, six threads at this point. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you say about six? About six. Maybe five. After this week. Ooh, one just broke. Oh, there it goes. <laughs> Hurry it up, you guys. Let's go. <laughs> and if you want even more We Would Be Dead in your life, you can support us over on, as we just mentioned, Patreon, where for just a few dollars a month, you will get a lot of really great stuff. But we're in the middle of a big Patreon overhaul right now, as mm -hmm. we just kind of teased at. So stand by for more of the stuff you love, patrons. There will be extra content, special merch, some people said they would like some giveaways, which would be really fun. Mm -hmm. There will be more chances to interact directly with us. I know a few people said that. They want to play games, which is always fun. Have some meetups. Uh, what else did we talk about? Just other things. They'll find out when they join. That's true. And much more. And more. And don't forget that if you're a patron, you do get access to our weekly video after show, Host Mortem. So it's like a whole extra video episode of this podcast that is just Leslie and I talking about our opinions on what we just talked about. And then also maybe a color that we liked, didn't like in childhood, but like today. Yeah. Or just like what we ate for dinner. Sometimes it's riveting. I mean, it's always fun. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, postmortem is extra and you want it. Trust me, it's really fun. Uh, so yeah, be a patron. That's great. And if all of that is a little much for you, you can simply follow us on social media, especially Instagram, who is the Heather Chandler of the social media world right now. We are at Would Be Dead Pod everywhere and anywhere. You can like our stuff, share our stuff, like and share our stuff. You can post about your favorite episode. Tell us when you're listening. Make a list and put us on it. That's our favorite. Mm -hmm. Make us a list, please. Tell a friend. Tell a neighbor. Tell that chaotic friend from high school who time has transformed into a person who knits blankets for orphan otter cubs while listening to NPR. You know the one. What's their name? Probably a lot of animal rescues on their social media. Dolores. Dolores. Yeah. Then your friends and Dolores can become fiends and we can all hang out together. She like went by Dorothy, but now she's like Dolores. Now she's Dolores. Yeah. yeah. She has this other persona. Yeah. She's like really aggressively fundraising. Yeah. And knitting caps for mm. orphan. She's a grandma caps. now. Yeah, but our age. Oh, damn. She went she, to high school with us. Yeah, that's right. So, like, she's lived hard. Yeah. People yeah. have done her wrong, so she's turned to the animals. Get it, girl. Dolores. <laughs> <laughs> and your friend, Ed Dolores, who has a tragic backstory now, <laughs> can become fiends, and we can all hang out together. Whew, well, I think that is all I have this week in the way of news. Leslie, do you have anything to add before we begin? Um, no. Mm -mm. Nothing. All right, then. On with the show. Blaze Bernstein was good. He was a good kid who grew into a good teen and was making a pretty smooth transformation into a good adult. 
Blaze was kind and talented. Blaze was adventurous and intelligent. Blaze was gay and Jewish. But this is not just the story of one boy. It's actually the story of two. Sam Woodward was angry. Sam was an angry kid who grew into an angry teen and transformed into an angry adult. Sam was aggressive and isolated. Sam was confused and hungry for attention. Sam was homophobic and a white supremacist. Two boys who grew up just an hour away from one another, both raised in affluent families, both attending good elementary schools in safe neighborhoods, and then the same prestigious arts high school. They were surrounded by opportunities, open minds, and everything they could have possibly needed. So how did one end up violently stabbing the other to death in an empty park in the middle of the night? Well, it seems that one can take two very different paths and still end up at the same destination. I think this week we'll start near the finish line. Feeling, I don't know, creative. Okay. January 3rd, 2018. In case you guys didn't realize, this is a very, very recent case. I didn't realize how recent it was until I started actually writing stuff. I was like, oh, 2018. That's like a minute ago. In case you guys forgot 2018, like, think about what you were doing four years ago. That's what life was like. Just living life. Just living. Not worried about. COVID. Yeah. Yeah. For this case, we are in beautiful Lake Forest, California. So this is a local case for some of our fiends. Lake Forest is located in Orange County. Yeah, yeah. I know. Love the OC. And it is a very large, very populated, very green place to be. With two man-made lakes and a man-made forest of eucalyptus trees, residents of its many neatly planned neighborhoods are predominantly the kind of humans who can afford such a view with only 3% of families living below the poverty line. And there are a lot of residents. As of the 2020 census, which was two years after this takes place, but still pretty accurate most likely, there were over 85,000 full-time residents in Lake Forest. That is a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. It's bigger than most places we talk about. Right. And many of these residents were able to take advantage of the very highly rated public schools, historical parks. They have an evangelical megachurch. Nice, okay. You need a megachurch and the largest public skate park in the country. That's awesome. Like a little aggressive Jesus, aggressive skating. Go home. All right. See a eucalyptus tree. Great. It's nice there. It's a great place to raise kids if you can keep them away from megachurch, who in my brain is a Godzilla-style villain now. Megachurch! <laughs> Yeah, that's about right, Right, it's good. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Sounds accurate. And it was 2018. So it's nice, it's modern, you're in California, it's probably sunshiny, and it smells like eucalyptus. That's the setting. Right. So, it wasn't like Blaze Bernstein to flake on his mother. He had come home to Lake Forest, California for winter break. Blaze had been attending the University of Pennsylvania, where he was studying biochemistry, psychology, poetry, food writing, and engaging in community activism. <laughs> okay. That's all. Just a <laughs> all few. Right there, Blaze. Just Yeah, no, he was impressive. He, Damn. Yeah, he, like, didn't quit. And he was so cute. So cute. Well, that's Look, just not pictures fair. right now. I can't make full sentence. Blaze Bernstein. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. Guy. I 
No. Oh, look at him in a little apron. I know. Find the picture of him in overalls. <gasps> I can't handle it. Oh. Yeah. He's the cutest. Graduating with some lay on him. Mm-hmm. I know. I The videos are very painful. There's a few, like, home movies on some of the stuff that I watched, and it was like, oh. Wait, I really like these cooking ones. Because he's, like, holding... Oh, like the whisk where he's like, (laughs) yeah, and he's doing like ninja moves with Mm -hmm. it. It's really funny. He got like professional photos taken of him. Yep, (laughs) It's so good. Well, he was the editor for um, Penn's food magazine. Well, okay, so that makes sense. Yeah, he was like a food writer while he was at Penn. So that might have been then. But like he's I know podcasting is an audio medium. You guys can look in our photo suite. I'll post a billion pictures of Blaze. You can Google them. But also he's like, um, I think he was like. 5'8 and like 130 pounds. So he's very like lanky um, and handsome, but in like a, an impish kind of way. Yeah. He looks like he could maybe cause some trouble. Right. Like he doesn't have any like facial hair. He's just really No, he's cute. very boyish looking. Because yeah. he was 19. He was a boy in all these pictures. But like, yeah, no, he's adorable. He's so cute. And he's holding a little trophy here that says best lover. <laughs> <laughs> So cute I in his would little have overalls. Been in love with him. Yeah. It would not have taken me anywhere because he did not like ladies, but still I would have been. Anyway, I told you I was gonna gush over this one. Blaze had celebrated the winter holidays with his family, and while he was there, his mother had set up a dentist appointment for them both. Because when you're 19, you're kind of an adult, but you still can fall under mom makes my dentist appointments territory without being like a big weird red flag. Oh, 100%. My mom made all of my doctor's appointments for me till I was kicked off their insurance at 26. (laughs) (laughs) I don't like making appointments. I have someone else make them whenever I can. Yeah. (laughs) I have to be the one now, but I I don't like it. No, I don't either. (laughs) So in the early afternoon light of January 3rd, in a dentist's office in Orange County, California, Jeannie Pepper Bernstein waited for her son. Probably impatiently at first. Tick, tick, where are you? We never assume the worst right away. But then, as the minutes went by, impatience would turn to worry. Jeannie called Blaze several times, but he wasn't answering his calls or texts. And it wasn't like Blaze to be late. He was a very punctual person and very reliable. So this was more of a red flag than, say, if I had been late to go somewhere. Right. (sighs) Like, she's still at home. (laughs) A hundred percent. The night before, Blaze had cooked his family a delicious meal. As we mentioned, he liked to cook. And he made it from leftovers and the contents of the fridge from like New Year's. They had had like a New Year's party. And then he took everything they had for New Year's and put it together to make like a baked mac and cheese, like casserole and a soup and stuff. Okay. Which is like such a fun, creative thing to do. Yeah. And so his family all had this meal together. And his family would be Blaze, his parents, and his two younger siblings, Jay and Bo. After dinner, his mom, Jeannie, had taken 14-year-old Bo, Blaze's sister, which is such a cute name for a girl, and I've never heard it before. Bo? Yeah. Yeah, that is cute. Uh, so she took Bo to a sleepover, and when she left, Blaze was on his computer chatting with his friends. Totally average thing to be doing. Later that evening, one of his friends picked him up to hang out for a little while, um, but Blaze's parents went to bed assuming that he would be home late and probably then sleep in the next morning. This is a super normal routine for a 19-year-old home on winter break. Yes. 
not going to be weird for your friend to pick you up like after 1030 in a car and just drive around with them for a while and then come home and sleep till noon the next day. Mm-hmm. That feels on the nose. Yep. So back to the dentist's office. Not being able to get a hold of Blaze, still Jeannie's not really sure what to do next. So she keeps calling and texting him, but also calls her husband Gideon, who was at work that day, to ask if he had heard from Blaze at all. Because she's realizing, like, I haven't, I haven't heard from him at all. I wonder if he's talked to his dad. And he hadn't. It was then that the two came to a starting realization. Neither of them had seen Blaze that day at all. And they never heard him come home the night before. Ooh. Yeah. It dawned on them that they did not know if he had come home at all, which caused the panic to set in. I, that moment feels disgusting in my stomach. Where you just, your brain just fills in the blanks. You're like, oh yeah, Missy came home. He went to sleep. He's probably still in his bed. But then you realize like, I'm basing this on no facts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't like that. That's terrible. So the Bernsteins both rush home immediately and they find Blaze's room is empty. His glasses, his wallet, keys, retainers, credit cards, money, and all the things he would have taken with him had he known he was spending the night somewhere were still in his room. But there was no sign of Blaze. So being the diligent parents that they are, the Bernsteins called the damn cops to report Blaze as missing. And because Blaze is a male, they took it seriously. Oh, my gosh. Which I'm really glad because mm-hmm. we've already talked about how much I think Blaze is awesome. But had that been a girl, I wonder. Like, she was probably just sleeping at a boy's house. Yeah, she probably is at one of her friend's house or a boy probably took her to go have sex for a while. Or she ran away mm-hmm. every freaking time. But in this case, officers took down all the information they could gather and set to work looking for Blaze. The Bernsteins reached out to friends, family, and members of their congregation at University Synagogue. The Bernsteins were an active family in the community and the synagogue, and a great many people sprang to action immediately to help them out. Blaze was also an especially well-loved young man in the area. Like, everybody liked him. And his name, which was quickly printed on missing posters, drew quite a bit of attention. Now, as I had kind of briefly hinted at before, this was all over the news when Blaze went missing, like national news. I remember hearing about it. Now, it had become clear that no one had heard anything from Blaze since the previous day. And even the interactions they knew about didn't provide a single theory as to where he would have gone. It has been universally agreed upon as well that it was completely out of character for Blaze to have just up and run away or done any of the things they would assume a female would have done. Something had gone wrong very wrong. Now, out of in-person options, the Bernsteins did the only other logical thing they could think of. They went to the only place they knew held more information than any of his friends possibly could. His computer. Yep. That's where all our secrets live. All of them. So many of them. It wasn't easy for Gideon and Jeannie Bernstein to hack their way into Blaze's computer. After all, they had always trusted their son and never thought they would have to do something like this. But eventually, they were able to gain access to his social media, where they found nothing out of the ordinary. Blaze's accounts were all pretty much what they expected them to be. But Blaze's sister and his best friend, Lily, found a way to get into his Snapchat account through his computer. 
Hmm. which is not something you normally do. Snapchat is mostly a phone app, but you can access it on a computer. Yeah. Lily, who was like Blaze's friend his own age, um, carefully instructed his sister Bo to comb through the messages and like his chats in this in his snap and look for any um, names that were different or that she didn't recognize. And she also said, make sure that you don't open any new pictures. Don't open new snaps. And I guess this was because it might hinder a future conversation that led them to Blaze because he still had his phone. Right. So it might stop that. Or because when you look at a snap, it sets its mortality into action and 24 hours later, it's gone. Mm-hmm. So I think they didn't want to set that clock rolling until like maybe police were on board or something. But makes sense. It's pretty good advice. Yeah, I think. Snapchat, though tricky to navigate, did bring the Bernsteins their one and only clue. There was a name that Bo didn't recognize, and she did tell Lily about it. It was a message, and that message was to a man named Sam Woodward. And the only thing in that message was their home address, which feels cryptic. Now, this logically must have been the friend who had picked Blaze up the night before. Right. Right. Sam Woodward. The Bernsteins had never heard that name before. Blaze's siblings hadn't either. But a few of his friends knew exactly who this man was, and they were not happy about it. Blaze's childhood best friend, Rhea, who had gone to school um, briefly with both Blaze and Sam, was immediately terrified when she found this out. She was like in the loop of people talking about Mm. stuff. And um, according to Rhea, Sam was a militant, conservative, racist, anti-Semitic homophobe, woo, what a cocktail, who spoke openly about his hatred doodled gun violence in his notebooks and wrote racial slurs all over his copy of Raisin in the Sun while he was in school. Oh. Yeah. Sam was known around school as the kid who would be most likely to shoot up the school given the opportunity. All right. So what the hell was he doing with Blaze? According to Rhea, it had to be nothing good. She said she heard that he was with Sam and she was like, oh, something awful happened. A hundred percent. Hmm. The police and the Bernsteins then spoke to Sam, and he was extremely polite and cooperative. Sam told them that, yes, he had picked Blaze up at his home at 11 o'clock the previous night, and the two of them had been chatting online and decided to get together in person. So, like his parents said, they saw him talking on his computer, then he went out. He was talking to this guy. They decided to meet up. That all tracks. Sam said he had picked Blaze up, and they drove to the Foothill Ranch Town Center, which is a mall, kind of an outsidey, not a strip mall because it's bigger. I think California has different malls than we have. Um, and they parked in the parking lot in front of the Hobby Lobby, which is also a little too on the nose, and chatted for a while before deciding to go over to Borrego Park. Now, Borrego Park is the kind of place that probably hosts scouting events and Fourth of July parties. There's a playground and a picnic area, a walking path, a soccer field, a basketball court, public restrooms, and like barbecue grills you can use. But it closes at dusk. So they weren't exactly taking advantage of any of those things at past 11 o'clock at night. But it's also not a weird thing for a 19 and 21-year-old to do. Yeah, we're going to go over to this park late at night. The cops might usher us out, but... I don't know. That also feels not abnormal to me. Yeah, no, not at all. That sounds that sounds right. Yep. Like, yeah. Because there are some people that are like, oh, it's weird. They're going into this park. I'm like, it's not. It's really not weird. No, you're just, you're 
kids that are home. Yeah. But you're, well, you're adults that are living with your parents right now, but used to living away at college. Yep. So you want to not be in your parents' house. Yeah. You can't like bring friends over that late at night to your parents' house. And so you just roam the streets. But Blaze was 19, so it's not like they're going to a bar. Exactly. So in my mind, there are really only two non-nefarious reasons, though, while it's not abnormal, that you would go to a dark park late at night with just one other person. And they are usually sex or drugs. Mm -hmm. But Holly, you may be saying to yourself, either aloud or in your head if you happen to be in public, sex and drugs are nefarious. And to that I say, show yourself out. (laughs) First of all, I'm talking like smoking pot in a car and then having awkward teen sex in a bush. Not abnormal. Yeah, not abnormal. I'm not talking about doing heroin and having a threesome on the slide. Mm -hmm. Second of all, please relax. Because the third reason you might be alone in a dark park at night with one other person is if you wanted to do them harm and in secret or do one of the other two aforementioned activities by force. Now, isn't that a whole lot worse? It is, but... Of course it is. I would have to disagree. I feel like there's another one. What is it? Which is because maybe they're just friends and they just needed to talk and they're just swinging on the swing, having some deep conversations. Right. Which which I have also done with my friends at 19 to like 30. (laughs) To today. (laughs) Yeah. Which is really cute and would be an option had they been actually friends. Right. But they weren't. Anyway, Sam told the police that he and Blaze had chatted for a little bit before Blaze said, I'll be right back, and got up to walk away. He said that he was going to go get another friend who was a surprise for Sam. So basically, he was like, got up and started walking into the park and was like, I'll be right back. I have somebody you're going to want to see. It's a surprise. And Sam was like, okay, fun. (laughs) Then Blaze just wandered off in the direction of a semi-wooded area near the playground, and Sam never saw him again. Mm Mm-hmm. Sam said after he waited for Blaze for a little while, he got kind of, uh, I guess, like, pissed off a little and left and went to his girlfriend's house. (laughs) There's no girlfriend. I was like, (laughs) and who is this girlfriend? Everyone says that. They're like, where's the girlfriend? Where's her house? There is no girlfriend. Sam makes up a lot of girls that never existed. Um, But then while he was at his girlfriend's house, his conscience kicked in. And he was like, oh, man, I can't just, like, leave him in the park. I was his ride. Remember, he drove Blaze there. Yeah. So he goes back to the park to look for Blaze. It's after midnight at this point in time, and he says Blaze is still nowhere in sight. Sam said that um, he went on looking for him for a little while, sent him a few messages via Snapchat, because I guess they didn't text each other. They only communicated via the chat portion right. of Snapchat. And these messages did exist. Bo and Lily found them. They said, like, Blaze, are you all right? Where are you? At, like, you know, 4 a.m. from Sam. But then no one ever heard another word from Blaze. Hmm. On January 4th, the police set out to search Borrego Park. And while they were there, one of the officers happened to bump into Sam again. He was just there. What luck. Sam walked the officer through where they had sat, where they had come from. He's like, we were over here at Hobby Lobby. We drove over here. We sat down here. And then he walked this way. He like walked him through all of the plot points of their interaction, which seems really helpful. 
right? He also offered a little more of the story. This time, when speaking to this different officer, he claims that while they were out there, Blaze had tried to kiss him, which made Sam really mad as he found homosexuality disgusting and wrong, but at the same time, quote, the idea of being with another man was something of interest to him. A curious thing to say, isn't it? Sure, yeah. But then Sam was a curious guy. Mm-hmm. Now, this seems like a good time for a little background, don't you think? Yes. So, Sam was born in 1996, and Blaze was born in 1998. Leslie. Yes. Why don't you give us, <laughs> which I know you have in your heart, yeah. a little 90s info. Yeah, sure. Let's do yeah. it. Okay. So, the top TV shows were ER, Seinfeld, okay. Suddenly Susan, Oh, Friends, uh, but in this like area, like this era too, it was like Thirty Rock from the Sun, Mad About You. You said Thirty Rock, and I got excited. Yeah, no. You also said Suddenly Susan, and I only hear Suddenly Susan. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Mad About You, Ellen, and The X-Files were also big okay. on the tellies. And like Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Good times. Yes. And Moesha. <laughs> also good times. Yeah. Top movies were Titanic, Armageddon, Saving Private Ryan. Oh, and there's boy. something about Mary. That was 1996, I think. This is like my prime teen years. I know. I mean, I these. Know. this is when these boys were just born. This is the world they were born into. Mm-hmm. But like for me. And then so for fashion, by 1994... Fashion took a turn to a more polished, form-fitting styles. Popular mid-90s looks for women included tailor skirts and pantsuits, slip dresses, hot pants and skirts and satin, metallic sequins, and vinyl fabrics. Love of vinyl fabric. (laughs) This was a time when I would buy clothes at Charlotte Russe that looked like they were made out of trash bags and napkins. Absolutely. Boy. Animal prints and bright colors were popular carryovers from the early 90s. Men's clothing also featured bold prints, the most common being Hawaiian and paisley patterns. Oh, boy. Sports jerseys, graphic tees, leather jackets, and velvet blazers. Oh, God, it was a bad time for fashion. (laughs) Punk style gained popularity in the mid-late 90s, especially among skaters. The 90s look was comprised of mostly a black, red tartan, uh, and darker colored t-shirts, hoodies, leather jackets, boots, and skate shoes. So think of like the punk look bands like Green Day, Blink-182, Sum 41, or like characters like Spike and Drusilla from Buffy. Yeah. (laughs) That kind of look is what we were going for in the later 90s. There you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, then there is famous hip-hop artists like MC Hammer, Tupac, and Public Enemy who had a heavy influence on 90s fashion. These looks featured wide leg jeans, track suits, bomber jackets, gold chains, and snap back hats. Some of that stuff is back. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, so some of those other like influences from the movies were like Menace to Society and Boys in the Hood. That's nice. like I always think those looks for. And so there was some good music too, Holly. Oh my. And I thought that this was going to be a really sad episode. So I thought I'd bring back. Good idea. Name that tune. Oh no. (laughs) 
Surprise! <laughs> I did not know ahead of time. Yeah. You guys, I forget my whole brain when we do this, so don't judge me. <laughs> or judge me, whatever. All right. So, in this one, for our new listeners... <laughs> I think they know how to play name that tune. I'm going to poorly sing a song to Don't which you dare be mean to yourself, Leslie. To which Holly will tell me the the song and or the artist, the and sometimes finish. Susan. Sometimes she'll finish the song for me too. Sometimes. Don't count on it. All right, first one. You ready? So ready. You'll always be a part of me. I'm part of you okay. indefinitely. Boy, don't you know you can't escape me? Ooh, darling, cause you'll always be my baby. Head will linger on. Yeah. yeah. Is that Mariah Carey? Yes, is it? it yeah, is. okay, good, good, good. Always be my baby. You were my strength when I was weak. You were my voice when I couldn't speak. You were my eyes when I couldn't see. You saw the best there was of me. You lift me up when I couldn't reach. You gave me faith because you believed. I'm everything I am because you loved me. I knew that. I just let you keep going. <laughs> Felt it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Celine. Yes. Because speak. you loved me. Yes. All right. And this one is um Dipper's favorite song. Oh, no. Don't do it. She was singing this before, and my dog started getting fresh with a stuffed animal. I will never find another lover sweeter than you, sweeter than you. Oh, boy. And I will never find another lover more precious than you, more precious than you. Girl, you are close to me like my mother, close to me like my father, close to me like my sister, close to me like my brother. Ew, I don't want a lover to be any of those things. you are the only one, my everything. And for you, the song I sing. All my life, I pray for someone like you. Why do I want my lover to be my mother, brother, sister, father? That's terrible. No, they're just close to you. I don't want to be close they're in that close way. To you as your family. Mm-mm. No, I don't. I don't Mm-mm. like you either. I'm gonna be fucking my family. But That's I awful. Thank God that I that I finally found you. All right, that was guys. Good. We that was Casey and JoJo. Yes, the song my dog likes to fuck a stuffed porg to. Yep, that was my fault. I'm sorry. It guys. was Leslie's fault. All right, ready? Born, I'm just going to say one born word. Born ready. Just one word. Just one word? That's too difficult. Ready? Mm-hmm. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Backstreet Boys. That's right. They're back all right. And then do you remember this song? I don't know. Do I? It's just a little crush. Oh, crush. yeah. Not like a faint. Every time we touch, it's just Oof. some little crush, crush. Oof. <laughs> Not like everything I do depends on you. Probably didn't Sha-la-la-la. listen to it much because I don't like the other sounds. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good song, but it's crushed by Jennifer Page. What else has she done? I don't know. I just like <laughs> that song. That, that one always reminds me of the um, Alicia Silver. Stone movie crush, right? Was that? 
I don't know. I think she was like oh, a young whoa, girl whoa, and she yeah. like had a crush oh, on the boy. Oh yeah, it was like Carrie Elways and she, or was that Fear? Where he like fingered her on a roller coaster? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I don't a know. wild movie. <laughs> anyway, that was, uh, that was those years. That was the... There are two movies. Both of them are wild in the same way. Yeah. I only think only one of them is Alicia Silverstone. I think Fear is Reese Witherspoon. Oh, uh-huh. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Sorry, guys. Everyone's yelling at us right now really hard. Yep. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. That was 1996, so that was this time. That also applies, so... If you, you want to get finger banged on a roller coaster, watch that movie. It'll show you how it's done. True story. Quite a rush. I know. I'm rowdy this week. I don't know what to tell you. Well, the 90s were a time, Leslie. They sure were. Oh, boy. So that is the time period. Now let's get to the boys. Blaze was born to a very loving family, loving parents and grandparents. And according to his obituary, Blaze's, quote, Mother and father were both native Californians. They attended the University of California, Santa Barbara, where they met in 1987 and later married in Los Angeles in 1992. His father, Gideon Bernstein, went on to become a chartered financial analyst, which I'm sure is impressive, but I'm not 100% sure what it means, and to manage the portfolio of leisure capital management in Costa Mesa, where he is presently an equity partner. His mother, Jean... This is spelled J-E-A-N-N-E, but everywhere they call her Jeannie. I don't know. How do you spell it? J-E-A-N-N-E. That's just Jean, right? But in like, if you listen to like, if you watch them talk about her, it's Jeannie. So I don't know. She earned her law degree in 1995 from the Pepperdine School of Law. She left her litigation practice in 2000 to devote herself completely to caring for Blaze and his siblings. His paternal grandmother, Leah Bernstein, a retired language teacher, was born in Romania in 1936 and is presently one of the few living Holocaust survivors. Mm. Blaze has two siblings, Bo, age 14, and Jay, age 17. So that was at the time of his death. So Blaze was 19, then his brother Jay was 17, and his sister Bo was 14. So, yeah. The Bernstein home was a creative haven. His parents doted on Blaze and encouraged him. Blaze was quirky and silly and outgoing. He loved to cook and make funny videos. He performed with his local theater groups and did extremely well academically. His mother called him a unicorn, which I thought was really cute um, because she was like, he was just so different and special. She recounts that the night before Blaze was born, she had a dream that she had named him Blaze. And a few short hours later, when he entered the world, that is exactly what she did. I love that. Isn't that fun? Blaze was named for his grandfathers. This is also taken directly from his obituary. And for the 17th century French polymath Blaise Pascal, who was a French mathematician, physicist, inventor, writer, and theologian who pioneered calculating machines and made numerous contributions to science. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, so another, like, Renaissance man. Yeah, so he he did He lived up, up to it, it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Blaze was active at school and in his synagogue. He and his family traveled together and gathered experiences like others might gather seashells or tiny spoons. The Bernsteins were happy, and Blaze, in turn, it would seem, was a happy child. His childhood friends can confirm this as well. Rhea recalled him being kind, caring, and cuddly. I love that. I know, me too. She said he was a cuddly person, and I was like, <laughs> He looks like it, right? I just... know! I want to just <laughs> hug him. Yeah. 
Sam's early childhood, however, was a little bit different, but not as drastically different as our connect the dots brains might want it to be. A lot of people kind of want to make the leap that Sam came from somewhere horrible and abusive and scary, or he lived in abject poverty, but he didn't. Sam was also born in California to wealthy parents. The Woodwards were Catholic and attended church. In some sources, it says every day. Hmm. That's excessive. I know a lot of Catholics. I don't know any that go to church every day. Maybe they went to mega church. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And in some sources that you encountered too, it mentions that his mother was a Christian therapist. Mm Mm-hmm. Which means, does does she have an actual degree in psychology if she's doing that? Or is she just sanctioned by the church to counsel people? Well, so that would be um, something to potentially find out. She could be a licensed therapist. Right. And and have many different certifications. But she could just have that extra... That would be like her niche. Like right. I'm a, I am, I also do Christian counseling. So if you want to come to me, um, I guess the question I have is, that. is she a counselor who also happens to be Christian or is she a Christian that then offers counseling? I, you know what I mean? We don't, right. I, I can't tell right. you the answer to this and here is why. It is, this fact is only stated on like a couple Reddit feeds. Mm-hmm. It's not in any newspaper articles. There are no biography, like, solid journalistic biographies of Sam. Mm-hmm. There is, once this happened, his family wiped him from the internet completely, right. which is hard to do. You can't even really find screenshots of the horrible, horrible memes he made. Right. And they were copious. Mm-hmm. So they did a very good job of like just removing any and all information about him and themselves from the public eye. Right. So you really can't find it. This is just something that I'm putting out there because mm-hmm. you will see it mentioned. And it does seem like that could a good be possibility. I, so what I would say is, is that if her profile, if you went on to wherever she was working mm-hmm. and you looked at the therapists that were part of that place and in her profile, she mentioned that she was a Christian therapist or counselor or that she, and she just mentions it in there, I would say that for the most part, it's that she's a... A Christian who counsels. Yes. I would say that that's, that's the most likely circumstance. And I do think that it is sometimes difficult to disassociate those two because you have a belief in something. So... Plus the church can just say, okay, well, we've given her the position as counselor. Mm -hmm. They don't have to require she have a degree in counseling. They can just say I guess that's if she was doing it from, you mean if she was doing it from the church? Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like she's just a church-sanctioned professional. Yeah, so that's something that we aren't sure of. We don't know if she was only working for the church or if she was working for another— establishment. Yeah, that's true. Or she did it at all. I mean, if anybody has any more information, please let us know. Uh, as, to, as to the research I've done, truly, I couldn't find it anywhere. Right. At least in a way that satisfied me in its integrity. Let's mm-hmm. put it that way. Anyway, the Woodwards were active members of their church, obviously, and also of their community. There are a lot of neighbors who have been interviewed that are quoted as saying they were very nice. Like, they were a nice family. They were nice people who kind of had a nice house and nice kids, and they were nice, you know. They had a big house. 
that like they eventually expanded and lots of property. They had nice cars and they were able to provide for their two sons, Sam and his older brother, Clay. The Woodwards were by all accounts good parents. No one had anything bad to say about their parenting. And for his part, Sam doesn't have anything bad to say about their parenting. Neither does Clay. Nobody does. But they were conservative. They were Catholics who had money, so of course, but they are not alt-right or militant. So like they may have wanted America to be great again, but they weren't ready to kill anybody about it. I'm not saying they didn't like vote that regime, but Mm -hmm. they weren't the people who did it because they wanted the world to burn. Right. Clay Woodward was the all-American boy next door product of this Wonder Bread family. So this is Sam's older brother. Clay was kind and popular, athletic, good-looking, delightful to be around, funny. The community loved him. He was a hit with the ladies. And so people kind of expected they might just get another one of those from his younger brother, Sam. But they didn't. Sam was different. Sam was awkward and had a hard time making friends. He had a hard time kind of connecting with people. He had angry outbursts in school, according to some of his classmates and teachers, and a sense of humor that other kids didn't seem to really click in with. He tried, but it never quite worked. And so Sam was kind of a lone wolf, adrift in the wilds of wealthy Southern California. For one reason or another, Sam decided he wanted to attend the Orange County School of the Arts, which is a very prestigious art school that emphasizes not only a strong artistic experience, but an excellent overall education. OSHA, as it is called by people in the know, is for students from 7th to 12th grade, so it starts a little before normal high school, and requires a strong academic record, an audition, and or a portfolio review to gain entrance. So this is like applying to college or any other secondary school. Like, I had to apply to my high school and take tests and give interviews and stuff. So that's what this is. Sam began his education there in seventh grade. Then two years later, when he was in ninth grade, Blaze started as well. Same school now. Okay. Blaze positively thrived at OSHA, obviously. He had lots of friends, and his teachers loved him. It was easy to see that that was a place where he belonged. His best friend, Rhea, went there with him, and it was there he met his other best friend, a girl named Lily. But Blaze seemed to have an effect on everyone he encountered, and not just those closest to him. In an interview with 48 Hours, classmate Claire Velo said, quote, Blaze was honestly one of the smartest people I've ever met. Something that was really unique about Blaze is he always made you feel important. Like, if you were talking to him, like you knew he was actually listening which is a very nice quality. It is, yeah. His writing teacher, Eric Tryon, said, quote, he was just like a beam of light. He wanted to do the work, which you can't always say for kids that age. That's a dream student. Other friends of Blaze's remember him as being incurably snarky and witty. And if he loved you, he was like a little bit bitchy to you sometimes. (laughs) Love it. I know. Which, I mean, we all have friends like that that we love. Mm -hmm. And here's a fun example from the Mother Jones article on Blaze's murder. Quote, in high school, Blaze wrote Lily a letter, that's best friend Lily that he met, that I was talking about before, um, that she has kept as a photo. Composed in Blaze's neat cursive, it reads, quote, every day you walk around strutting the epitome of beauty in its simplest and finest form, you. 
You are the epitome of all things good and wonderful on this earth. Just kidding. I hope you die, you stupid bitch. XOXO. (laughs) That's perfect. (laughs) Oh, I love it. I know. I read that. I was like, I like him. (laughs) Sam's experience at OSHA. Well, that was a little different. Sam had gravitated towards radical white nationalist beliefs. Left adrift and friendless, the internet had offered Sam a respite with other boys who seemed to be just like him. These boys latched on to the radical incel-like belief that everything they couldn't have was being kept from them by other people, and those other people were minorities. Yeah, it's a very dangerous line of thinking, and this particular sect of nationalist anti-Semites have the same mentality as an incel does. So incels are like, okay, well, women are to blame for me not being successful with women. Right. Yep. So this is like, well, it's all Jewish people's fault and gay people's fault that I can't have this life that I want. And now what year would this have been? 2013, 14, somewhere in there. So I know that around this time and then, you know, the years to follow it, I feel like it slowed down a little bit because we kind of tackled it a bit. But like on YouTube, this is where you would kind of go down those rabbit holes. So once you looked at one thing, it was just constant. Like the algorithm was just getting you deeper and deeper and showing you these like crazy videos that you would get obsessed with. This is like a a 4chan apex two or five, whatever. Mm -hmm. How many chans there are, I do not know. But it's that where the awful people congregate to say awful things together. Mm -hmm. That was like at one of its peaks. Yeah. Where you could just say anything too Mm -hmm. and I mean you still can in some regards or you can't um post something two years ago about Jeffrey Dahmer without the internet reporting you right who does that happen to (laughs) or like we used John John's music and oh yeah and they flagged it I mean I'm kind of happy that they did that (laughs) but I still have to tell them it's fine (laughs) yeah please so at any rate so Sam as I said had this strong hatred of anyone who was other as opposed to him. So like not white men. Specifically though, Jewish people hated them, hated gay people too. He also um, had some racist, like I hate black people stuff going on, but he also always said he was very sexually attracted to black women. That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. He believed these people like didn't belong in this country or on the planet. He had photoshopped pictures of himself in front of the Confederate flag on his social media. You saw saw that one? one. Mm -hmm. So what we're talking about is a picture of Sam in what looks like Civil War era clothing. Photoshopped in front of just like a Confederate flag. He's like gazing off into the abyss. And the quotation is, most of you don't know this. First of all, stop right there. Mm -hmm. If you start a sentence with, most of you don't know this, Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Anyway, most of you don't know this, but this flag represents Southern pride, not racism. Happy Independence Day. I know. I know. It doesn't get a whole lot worse. In the okay category for Sam, I guess, he was like, if you didn't know he was a Nazi, he was like a decent looking guy in his youth. Yeah. He was 6'2", 180 pounds, like, yeah, he, in shape, he square jaw. Yeah. Like, you know, he looked kind of all-American-y. Mm-hmm. So, um, just remember that a little bit. 
His teachers and classmates had things to say about him, too. Uh, this is a guy named Philip Schwadron. I'm so sorry, Philip, if I pronounced your last name wrong. I did not look it up. But he's Sam's acting teacher at OSHA. And he said, quote, he was just very serious guy. He didn't crack jokes. He didn't laugh at jokes. And he wanted to do a monologue about the military. He wanted to play an army guy, a general or something. Mm-hmm. Okay, not a lot of that about, but all right. And Blaze's friend Reyes said, quote, I have a friend who was in playwriting class with him and they were reading Raisin in the Sun, as I mentioned this earlier. And they all got their individual copies. So this is back when you would like borrow a book from the classroom, like you'd get it to read and then you'd have to give it back. When everybody gave theirs back, he had written the N-word all through it. Oh. Yeah. And we'll get to this later, but I struggle to see where he was not given mandatory counseling for that. Yeah. You can't put racist slurs all over a book at a private institution, too, and not either be kicked out because Mm -hmm. at the private school I went to, you'd be kicked right the fuck out for that. Mm -hmm. No tolerance whatsoever. You would have been shown the door or at least like given mandatory counseling. Right. Something. Something would happen. Actions should happen. Yep. Mm hmm. His classmates said he was a racist, homophobe, and sexist. And um, they also mentioned that he used to just doodle guns and gun violence in his notebooks. Okay. Not great. People said, quote, that they wouldn't be surprised if he came and shot up the school. Mm. Which is a terrible thing to say about anyone. But every single person listening to this right now goes, oh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And now also he... You know, he seems to like all this war stuff and right, right. being soldiers. So he could also be like, you know, drawing guns based yeah. on like wartime things first, like necessarily wanting to actually harm somebody. Well, which is, you know, kind of what you want to make your brain well, the actually other, believe. Yeah. The other thing is that the reason I think that these kids were also on high alert is because like. The Columbine Trenchcoat Mafia loved Nazism. They also loved Mm -hmm. to talk about Nazis and Charlie Manson. And they also like to draw guns and swastikas and stuff like that. Like it is become a trope almost where you see this kid and you're like, you're a trench coat away from being these kids. Right. Which is not true. They are all individuals with their own problems and will do Columbine at some point in time because I've done an insane amount of reading about it. But I see where they were coming from. Well, yeah, 100%. I mean, no matter what, if all of that information was out there for somebody to see, uh-huh. I don't know why he wasn't why no one, yeah. him, why no one brought him in to get, like, looked at. <laughs> there, Yeah, there was no, at least in the reading that I have done, I cannot find any evidence of any interventions. Yeah. Now, we may find out more after he, spoiler alert, there hasn't been a trial yet because COVID. When there are court transcripts of this case, we will probably find out a lot more things. But that is not now. And for all I know, some of this is being withheld because of that. Right, that's true. So there still could be, like, one, there that could teacher be. could have taken action. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I want to hope that there they could. Did. Yeah, we just, okay, so we just don't we know. We just don't know. No. Yeah, okay. But there was something else about Sam that his classmates were talking about. For all of his preaching and rhetoric, when no one else was around, he was awfully curious about the homosexual boys in his class. And not curious 
in an angry way, curious in a curious way. Mm. He wanted to know what they were like. How did they come out? Did they date? How did that work? And it didn't stop there. One fellow student who has chosen to remain anonymous and who can blame him had slightly more intense interactions with Sam. This student had come out as gay in sixth grade. He was like a loud and proud type kid. And at OSHA, this was like pretty commonplace and accepted you're in a Southern California art school. You're, you're probably fine to be gay. Sam began to message this kid privately on social media. First, he was just asking simple questions. Like I said before, how'd you know you were gay? How did you come out? How did you deal with your family and your friends? But then it got more personal. And Sam asked if hypothetically he were gay, how might he come out to his family? Hmm. Then the discussion took on a flirtatious tone that graduated to full-blown sexting complete with dick pics. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. This other student was not exactly quiet about this affair. With the notoriously homophobic Sam, obviously many, many, many of the classmates were very interested to hear what was happening there. Yeah, of course. And this student was keen to tell them. He also showed them these text messages and the pictures. So lots of people have seen them. And it turns out that this classmate wasn't the only boy Sam was hitting on, though he thought that all of these covert conversations would be kept private and that he would be able to continue to masquerade as the ultra-macho neo-Nazi he was desperately trying to become. But OSHA and its savvy students were not having it. Hmm, okay. So now we have created a very gossipy situation where everyone is talking about how this homophobic, macho, nonsense man is secretly like, trying to fuck all the gay students in his class. Right. So eventually the rumor is that he is gay, obviously, and this becomes extremely pervasive and impossible for Sam, who is now mortified, to escape. So he left OSHA in 10th grade for a public high school, citing that he wanted to be around more like-minded people, though many assume that the threat to out him was too great and that could be why he left, which seems possible to me. They're all yelling that he's gay and he's yelling that he wants to murder gay people, Mm -hmm. which at this point, that's what he was saying. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Sam continued on in public school where he did make a few like-minded friends. You'll find them in a more public pool. But the majority of his new brotherhood were men that he had met on the internet. Obviously, where else would you go to meet Nazis? (laughs) Sam had joined some rather dark forums. Dark web. Totally. One of them was called iFunny, which doesn't sound like it would be a dark forum, but it's just all screaming incels. Mm -hmm. Sam operated there under the handle Saboteur, and he met a bunch of other boys who felt adrift and left out and bitter and angry like him, and they needed people to blame it on, and they found them. This is a site where you basically just share a bunch of repellent screaming memes. Yeah, I saw a a bunch like pop up when Mm -hmm. I was looking at this. And Sam crept further and further right during this time Mm -hmm. through the realm of conservatism, past alt-right wing nuts, and squarely into the arms of a neo-Nazi organization known as the Atomwaffen Division. Oh, boy. Now, 
I'm going to give the generic wiki Adam Waffen roundup for this. But if you guys are looking to hear more about this organization, we will talk about it in Host Mortem. I can also do a little Patreon roundup on the other Adam Waffen murders, which there are more. If there is interest, I can we can record that this week or I can just throw it together and send it out. But basically, if you want more, gotta be a patron. Just right. something we do. Yeah. So the Atomwaffen Division, meaning nuclear weapons in German, also known as the National Socialist Order, which is incorrect, is an international right-wing extremist and neo-Nazi terrorist network. Fun formed in 2013. So that means that when Sam joined it, it was pretty new. Okay. And it's based in the southern United States. Shock, surprise. It has since expanded across the United States because also, shock, surprise, it's not gone. They said it's gone, but it's not gone. It's also bled into the United Kingdom, Canada, Germany, the Baltic states, and other European countries. So it got popular. The group is described as part of the alt-right by some journalists, but that would be incorrect, as the Atomwaffen brethren reject the alt-right as it is not extreme enough for them. Mm -hmm. It is listed as a hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center, which is correct, and it is also designated as a terrorist group by multiple governments, including that of the United Kingdom and Canada. In 2015, the group's creation was announced by founding member Brandon Russell on the neo-fascist and neo-Nazi web forum ironmarch.org. Great. Everybody can have a .org if they want. Which prior to its shutdown in 2017, but I'm sure it still exists somewhere, had been linked to several acts of neo-Nazi terrorism and violent militant groups such as the Nordic Resistance Movement, National Action, Atsov Battalion, Casa Pound, and the Golden Dawn. I didn't look any of those up, but I bet they're terrifying. In its initial post, ironmarch.org, this group described itself as a, quote, very fanatical ideological band of comrades who do both activism and militant training, hand-to-hand, arms training, and various other forms of training. As for activism, we spread awareness in the real world through unconventional means. Well, that is Fancy. Isn't it? Wow. It's a lot of fancy words to that say we fight in it's, the woods. It sounds fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you just take that sentence, you could put that in so many other places. True. And it sounds delightful. <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> get it get it elsewhere. <laughs> so this group's membership is mostly very young and it also recruits new members on university campuses, but that's not as young as they go because A fun fact is if you type Atomwaffen in your Google search bar, the third and fourth hits are Minecraft skin and Roblox skin. And if you don't know what those are, those are games that little children play. Right. My eight-year-old plays them both. Yeah. He could find skins for his character, which are just like, you know, virtual costumes where they would be wearing the the Atomwaffen brother and wear these like skeleton masks where it's like the bottom of a skull face, which I've seen. And I think my kid has one. They're thinking it was Halloween scary. 
Not that it was like a fucking Nazi organization. Right. Great. It's like a gator, but it has like the skull face on it. I've seen that. Yeah, Yeah. well, that's the neo-Nazi thing. So if you see it in your Mm -hmm. house, throw it out. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah, you can get them for like little kids games because they attempt to recruit any young white boy who might be susceptible to them saying, this is a fun, tough guy group where everyone accepts you and nothing is your fault. Yeah. So the younger, the better. Its campus recruitment poster campaigns urge students to, quote, join your local Nazis. Now, what university is leaving those up? That's wild. Oh, I'll tell you. It posted recruiting posters at the University of Chicago, the University of Central Florida, of course, the Old Dominion University in Norfolk, Virginia, and Boston University for shame. But they like left them up or did they not know? I don't know. know. It just said they... they posted them. Okay. Adam Waffen's division has recruited several veterans and current members of the U.S. Armed Forces, also not super surprising, who train the organization's members in the use of firearms and military tactics. Oh, my God. I yes. hate this. Mm-hmm. So they have people who know how to do it, training them how to just annihilate people. And, like, probably a poor manner because, like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's just. A United States Navy officer was expelled for allegedly recruiting 12 members for the group and four affiliated U.S. Marines were charged with trafficking and manufacturing firearms for the group. Adam Moffin members have also sought to train with the Atsov Battalion in Ukraine. In October of 2020, Ukraine, see, 2020, still going, deported two Adam Moffin members in Atsov for inciting murders and terrorism. In addition to Atsoff, the Adam Moffin has ties to various affiliated neo-Nazi groups and the fascist Satanist order of nine angels, which I didn't look up and I'm glad because I have a real bug in my ass about people doing Satanism wrong. An organization, the one I just mentioned, which advocates rape and human sacrifice, another thing Satanists don't do. I'm so mad. I know, so am I. Can you tell? During an investigation, uh, ProPublica obtained 250,000 encrypted chat logs written by members of the group. ProPublica in early 2018 estimated that Adam Waffen had 80 members, which I'm sure is wildly less than it does, while the Anti-Defamation League, who has been researching them for a great many years, estimated that it had 24 to 36 active members. So they think it's very small. I think it's probably bigger. According to the International Center for Counterterrorism, the group has a large number of initiates. So if someone is an initiate, which is how they refer to uh, another murder case that is Adam Waffen associated from um, um, an initiate named uh, Nicholas Jampa, they are like not members of the Brotherhood yet, but they are speaking to them and have expressed interest in, in like their devotion to them. Mm. Okay. So they estimate that there are an additional 60 to 80 initiate members. Adam Waffen advocates attack against the federal government of the United States. They don't like minorities. They don't like gay people. They don't like Jewish people. They burn copies of the Constitution. They burn the flag. They have engaged in several mass murder plots, plans to cripple public water systems and destroy parts of the continental United States power transmission grid. They just want chaos and destruction. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter who it comes to. They'd prefer it be Jewish people, number one, but then also maybe gay people, number two. Adam Waffen has also been accused of planning to blow up nuclear power stations. Great. The organization 
Its aim is to violently overthrow the federal government of the United States via terrorism and guerrilla warfare tactics. Great. Since 2017, the organization has been linked to eight killings in the United States and several violent hate crimes, including assaults, rapes, and multiple cases of kidnapping and torture because they don't just want murder. They also love when you rape and torture people. Yes. Mm-hmm. The organization explicitly advocates neo-Nazism, drawing a lot of their influence from a man named James Mason, not the actor. This is a different guy, a uh, member of the American Nazi Party or neo-Nazi Party, whatever they called it. He published a magazine that was later turned into a book called Siege, which is extremely famous among the neo-Nazi people. He's like their god. Um, His newsletter was of the National Socialist Liberation Front, and it pays tribute to Hitler and Charlie Manson and a bunch of other people that are of their ilk because Adam Waffen also has that Charlie Manson belief that a race war is about to break out. So we have to get ready. That's why they have all this tactical training to get ready for the race war that is about to happen. Mm. Or maybe the war against the Jewish people. I don't know what they think is happening. So like I said, Siege was published into a book and that's required reading for Adam Waffen Division members. James Mason, a neo-Nazi, is also a Holocaust denier. That's a fun set of beliefs. I had to look up what these people believe because you can't possibly say you love Hitler and don't believe in the Holocaust. I know. That's confusing. Well, in very basic terms, what they say is that Hitler was a good guy, wasn't a bad guy, and that... um, other people conspired to make it look like he did these atrocious things when he didn't. Mm -hmm. And they wildly overestimated the amount of people who died. It was only a few, not millions. And they say that Hitler's signature doesn't appear on any documents that sanctioned um, the extermination of Jewish people in the Holocaust, which is false. They, well, sorry. There, There is so much on this. I read a whole bunch of it. We can talk about it somewhere else. But I don't understand how that makes sense because their whole thing is that they want to be, don't they want the extinction of like, yeah, all those races? They sure do. So then why would they be like, "Mm, but like our Lord and Savior, Adolf Hitler, Mm -hmm. did not do these things. He was a really good guy, but like, we're going to do them now. I know. All right, I don't well, get it. Let's let's just have a little basic interaction with this. So this is, the source I'm reading right now is um, from the Museum of Tolerance. So they know what they're talking about. What is Holocaust denial? Holocaust denial, also known as Holocaust revisionism, is the attempt to deny or trivialize the atrocities committed by Nazi Germany against Jews and others during World War II. For internationally accepted definition, blip, blip, bloop, bloop, bloop. Why do some people deny the Holocaust? Which is what we want to know. Most Holocaust deniers want to wash away the stain of Nazism in an attempt to make Nazism an acceptable political alternative today. So they want it to be fine for you to be a Nazi because Nazis aren't that bad. Many have present and past ties with hate groups and are trying to shed that image by masquerading themselves as seekers of historical truth rather than merchants of bigotry. Holocaust denial is an important tool for anti-Semites. On July 24, 1996, Harold Covington, leader of the National Socialist White People's Party, explained why, quote, take away the Holocaust and what do you have left? 
without their precious Holocaust, what are the Jews? Just a grubby little bunch of international bandits and assassins and squatters who have perpetrated the most massive, cynical fraud in human history. That is the most delusional bullshit I've ever heard. Holocaust denial is an updated virgin version of an alleged Jewish conspiracy which Jews use lies and extortion to gain advantages over everyone else. The common denominator to all Holocaust deniers is anti-Semitism. This big lie is especially painful for Holocaust survivors, obviously, and all of those who have lost loved ones to Nazi mass murder who are confronted by people who deny their suffering and loss. What are the basic views of Holocaust deniers? Holocaust deniers argue that Nazi Germany was the victim of a conspiracy, this is where I was going, contrived by the Allies to brand Nazi Germany the villain of World War II. They maintain that the United States and Great Britain concocted wild atrocity stories about the Nazis to cover up their own war crimes. Jews, they claim, joined the conspiracy in order to prey upon the sympathies of the world and extort money from post-war Germany in order to establish the state of Israel. Arab leaders have sometimes resorted to Holocaust denial in an attempt to delegitimize the existence of the state of Israel. To one degree or another, Holocaust revisionist claims the Holocaust is an exaggeration, if not an outright hoax. Many argue that Hitler's intentions were peaceful and that the real villains of the war were actually U.S. President Roosevelt and the British Prime Minister Winston Churchill. Oh, and also all the Jews. Oh, my God. Winston <gasps> Churchill. OMG, Winston Churchill. <laughs> I will not be going on, but there is a lot more. And I will put this link in our um, yeah. show description so you guys can read it. You should read it. It is fucking shocking. It's it's just... um. It's just confusing because, like I said, they are denying the Holocaust. Which they should, if, if their beliefs are what they, they say they are, they should be high-fiving themselves for. Right. But all they want to do is reenact the Holocaust. Exactly. So, I don't know. So I guess, like, fuck them. <laughs> for sure. For sure. <laughs> but also, that gives you an idea of, like, the, the insane amount of, like, delusional self-importance yes. these people mm -hmm. have. And this guy, James Mason, is like their American leader, and he's a Holocaust denier. That ideation may not directly play into things, but I was so confused by it that I had to like go off and read it. And I figured like you looked just as confused as I was. And I felt like maybe everybody feels that way. So anyway, James Mason advocates murder and violence in order to create lawlessness and anarchy to destabilize the system. So he's like, OK, chaos is going to fuck up the government. And then it will beget chaos and we can also do this crazy shit we want to do. Adam Waffen also draws, draws influences from Nazi esotericism and the occult. I hate when you bring the occult into it. Blah. Anyway, they also uh, are really parallel, if not similar to like Al-Qaeda. Mm -hmm. in they're like radicalizing youths to just yeah. do this chaotic murder stuff. They idolize Osama bin Laden and the culture of martyrdom and insurgency. They, like, fucking love the guy that um, perpetrated the Pulse shootings in Orlando. So Sam, back to Sam, was catnip for the Adam Moffin brethren. He's young, he's white, he's lost, he's angry, and apparently his sexual confusion, while it would seem to be repellent to these men, was also fed by the organization because... Adam Moffin strongly encourages fierce male bonding. They say you should only be spending time with other men. 
as much as possible mm-hmm. alone doing man things and commenting on one another's level of physical fitness, which is something that some people call homoerotic. <laughs> Do you watch, um, was it the, the gemstones on I HBO? don't, I should. <laughs> it's really funny and... I don't know. You don't watch it, but let's just man up together and do yeah. man stuff. Like there's like some the dicks. one, yeah, like <laughs> yeah. the one son like has this whole section of like hit the church where mm-hmm. he, it's just like a bunch of guys and they just like lift weights and like they have bodies for Christ. Like, <laughs> guys, I'm working just, on my body for Christ. Yeah, let's go. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the whole thing is very self hatred driven, I think, and mm-hmm. super confusing, especially to the young angsty boys they are recruiting. A lot of these boys also share that incel mentality where they have struck out with women and therefore they blame women for all of their failure, which is solvable by only hanging out with men. I mean, it makes sense. Take women out of the equation or just like knock them out and rape them, which is fine by their logic as well. Mm-hmm. And also, if other people stand in your way, they're probably gay or Jewish and you should just kill them. Okay, that makes or sense. Or so they would have us believe. See, you have to have like a young person's sense of magical thinking to be able to put any of this together. Well, it's also like probably, I would say at a certain point, they don't start you off with that. It's like slow go and they connect yeah. you. They connect mm-hmm. you with like a feeling of camaraderie. We're all boys that hang out together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and if you listen to interviews with former members, that's exactly what they say. It was, it was a brotherhood. Yeah. I had friends. There was a lot of bonding. Mm-hmm. And they have hate camps. Mm-hmm. It is a like a summer camp, mm-hmm. which Sam went to one of them where you go. Of course they do. And that's where the Marines teach you how to like shoot and do all which kinds of weird. Which sounds cool. Yeah. They get to go and learn all these they tactics. fucking sick and... in the woods and then they yeah. shoot cans and targets yeah. and they, I don't know, whatever else the fuck they do. It's terrifying. Mm-hmm. So yeah, fun. Meanwhile, Blaze had quietly come out as gay to his close friends and his parents just assumed this is like a very cute story. He told like some of his best friends, but he wasn't like loud about it. He just kind of was like living it. And his parents were like, we just kind of knew. And so at one point we sat him down and we're like, listen, we don't care who you date or love. It does not matter. We love you no matter who you love. Love that. Got it? And he was like, cool. And then they were just cool from there on out. Made it that, what, like, graceful parents mm-hmm. to make that that easy. Just, like, the worst to make this fucking easy. Yeah. Whatever. It's fine. That's what I said to my kids because I have no, you know, you never know. Oh, yeah. So no, no, no. Like, we've, we've had those so conversations, you know, there's, too. Whoever you bring home is who you bring home. That's fine. I don't know. We don't. Like, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> just be happy. Yeah. And make them not, like, terrible people. That's great. Mm-hmm. Blaze graduated from OSHA and was accepted to the University of Pennsylvania, which is an Ivy League school for those of you keeping track. And where he was majoring in sciences, but also excelling in the arts. Blaze was extremely successful at Penn, as we mentioned earlier, even though he had to take a semester off to deal with what I can only read were, quote, personal problems. There are a few, like, super angsty Tumblr posts from that point in time from Blaze. Most of his Tumblr was gone. You can find a few things here and there. If you look up his Tumblr name, it is just pictures of some guy's ass. So that's not Blaze. Anyway, this these Tumblr posts at this point in time are him being like, it's total normal angst. Like, I'm depressed. I don't get along with my siblings. I don't get along with my parents. College is super hard. I'm not doing as well as I thought. Blah, 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 blah. 
So yeah, you I mean you get there and you get overwhelmed. He wasn't used to ever having to struggle with his grades or anything else. And it became like too much. So he left for a semester. Then he came back with a vengeance and took on jo- a job as editor of Penn's Food Magazine. He had his writing published in several different um, publications. He had a bunch of friends. He joined a bunch of organizations and just was like killing it at life. Just Okay, so he came back strong. Yeah, he did. He took the time off because he wasn't having a good time, fixed it, and then went back and was nailing it. Perfect. Yeah. Sam, however, dropped out of college after just two years. He became estranged from his parents after he found that their conservatism was not strong enough. Okay. He was also annoyed by their faith in God, something he had since abandoned in favor of his brotherhood's occultism or whatever he was thinking he believed. Sam told his parents he now identified as a Nazi, so he did a bit of coming out himself, which they did not support, nor did they aggressively condemn. They just kind of went, okay. And he then decided to, like, live off the grid with a fellow Adam Wappen member for a little while. This just sounds like a road trip to me. So Sam also harbored this, like, dream that his parents were going to see his way and become, like, Nazis with him. Mm-hmm. It was like, they're going to see the way. They are not. Right. So Sam and his friend traveled nomadically for a little while, working menial jobs where they could. And they traveled to Colorado to meet American neo-Nazi leader James Mason. Great. Who is alive and hanging out in the world and not in jail at all. And he said he thought Sam was a very nice boy. He liked him a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then um, a reporter asked James Mason later what he would say to Sam now if he had the chance to speak to him, knowing about the crime he has since committed. And James Mason said, quote, I wish you had run this past me first. You wouldn't be sitting here today. But all good luck. Rough. Yeah. No kidding. Eventually, though, Sam ran out of money, obviously. Mm -hmm. And in 2017, he returned home to live with his parents. He worked construction for a little while, and then he worked for a company that set up children's Nerf gun battle parties. That sounds fun. It sounds super fun. I didn't even know this was an option. So if you look at his resume in some places, it says like job Nerf guns or Nerf parties or whatever. So yeah, it's like kids having giant Nerf battles, and he set them up. I feel like I've seen this on television before. I wish it was a real thing down here. My kids would love it. Like instead of like laser tag, it's Nerf gun battles. Just like Nerf gun battles. Yeah. And they just bring all the stuff and set up. That's great. All right. That's what he did. He brought all the stuff and set up for these like Nerf wars. And it is admittedly like. And then like tried to recruit children. And then he was like, tactical warfare, Nerf. A hundred percent is what he was doing. He was like checking out like the good ones. Yeah. He's like, you're good at shooting for a six year old. Yeah. God. She's like, you suck because you're a girl. Yeah. Get out of here. You Get can't have a nerf girl. gun. Well, around this time, he also started trolling the internet looking for men. His Tinder profile stated that he was interested in women, but not disinterested in men. Yeah. And he also said that he was there to hunt. He was like, I'm hunting. Ew. Ew. Yeah. Which this can be taken and is Several taken. Several ways, but yes. still gross. All of them are gross. Oh, yeah. All of them are gross. Some people are of the mind that he said he wasn't disinterested in men because he was, like, baiting them so he could then hurt them. He was trying to catch gay men. Oh, uncomfortable. It's super uncomfortable. Other people think that he was saying he was hunting them to hide the fact that he was really looking to just be gay with them because he actually liked that part. Right. Uh, I mean, it's probably both. 
it's probably a little of both, but I do think that what ends up happening with Blaze was a premeditated event. Mm-hmm. Um, so on these like dating apps, because he was on a bunch, not just Tinder, he eventually found Blaze and the two of them started talking in October of 2017. It would be, yeah, because it was 18. It was in January. They like, like Blaze like stumbled across him online and he was like, holy fucking shit, this guy that everybody talked about. And he was like, kind of, Blaze was kind of like talking to his friends saying, I, I, I'm going to get this guy to admit he's gay. He's going to, this is, it's going to happen because he's talking to me on dating apps. So there must be a reason. And eventually Blaze was able to massage out of him the fact that he like kind of did think Blaze was good looking. Hmm. And Blaze told everyone, which, like, listen, I don't know that every, that I wouldn't have in the same situation. You're young and this guy who has said fucking rancid, awful things is now proving himself to be the exact thing that he hates, which also happens to be you. I probably would tell some people. Yeah. Pretty wild. And this goes on for a little while. And finally, on the 2nd of January, while Blaze is home on break, which is where Sam also lives, the two decide to meet up. Now, during this meetup, we later find out that Blaze was like play-by-play texting his friend Lily. Like, Sam fucking Woodward, I can't believe it. This guy is, like, now he's picking me up. I'm in a parking lot with him this stuff is happening. He's like thinking like, this guy's going to try and fucking hook up with me and it is going to be a wild story. But they stop at a certain point. So after January 2nd, an entire week goes by and the search for Blaze is, is, is furious. I mean, his family took to the news begging for help to bring Blaze home, but they kind of say that they always knew it wasn't going to be a great outcome. Yeah. They just knew. Finally, on January 9th, in the pouring rain, the police decided to search Borrego Park one more time. And there, behind the playground, under a tree, in a shallow grave, they found Blaze's body. The rain had uncovered him. And his grandmother, Leah, said, quote, if not for the rain, we would have never known what happened to him, which I just found like a very poignant sentence. Mm-hmm. They talk a little bit about like how they're like, you know, the rain came from, came from yeah. above and uncovered him for us, which is also pretty poignant. Medical examiners revealed that he had been stabbed in the neck 20 times. Jesus. He had 20 stab wounds to the neck and a ton of defensive wounds. Wow. The killing was clearly rage-driven. And now all eyes are back on Sam. They also police, when they interview Sam, they recall that he has scratches on him, which is Mm -hmm. always like a telltale murderer thing. And that dark, muddy dirt that they found Blaze in under his fingernails. Okay. So now they're connecting dots. Like, wait a minute. That guy looks like he could have done this. They then investigate Sam and they find Blaze's phone in the park as well, probably like right next to him somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's more messaging on his phone and stuff. And they find, they go to Sam's car and they search Sam's car. In his car, they find Blaze's blood all over the headliner. Oh. Yeah. And then in Sam's house, they find the knife that was 
clearly the murder weapon that still had Blaze's blood on it. And his blood was in um, Sam's house as well. So that's like a lot of evidence. Right. And then after this, undercover officers made their move on Sam um, the afternoon of the 9th as he pulled out of his Newport Beach driveway and went down the road. They like were like waiting for him and they arrested him there. The presiding judge initially charged Sam with murder and personal use of a deadly weapon, which is a very weird charge, but whatever. Um, And in August of 2018, two charges of committing a hate crime were added to this because of Blaze's sexual orientation. Interesting that it had nothing to do with the religion business either, because that was a lot of it. But yeah, that's interesting. It was because he was gay, which there's proof of that too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think because the line of thinking is that he went after gay men on dating websites, found Blaze that way, brought him out to this place under false pretenses mm-hmm. with the intention of killing him because he was a gay man. Right. Who just also happened to be Jewish. Mm, yeah. Which, which is, is cohorts fucking love. Sam, who has been linked to the murder by DNA evidence. So there he had Blaze's blood there. And I think his blood was probably also somewhere on something of him was on Blaze, basically. Okay. They just say DNA evidence. Maybe they did screw around. I don't know. Maybe right. it was blood because clearly they they fought. Mm-hmm. Could have been anything. He pled not guilty. A pretrial hearing was held in January of 2019, and Sam's attorney stated that Sam has Asperger's syndrome and issues regarding his own sexuality, which is basically the only defense they give this guy, who then pleads not guilty. But there are millions of people with autism spectrum disorder that are not killing their classmates or former classmates or even just people they meet on the Internet. They're not killing anybody. So, Leslie, why don't you tell us a little bit more about exactly what autism spectrum disorder entails and how it might relate to this case? Sure. So autism in its full term is known as autism spectrum disorder or ASD. And the word spectrum is important as autism isn't just like a singular disorder or a single disorder. Uh, Individuals fall on the spectrum in different ways, having different skills, abilities, and characters, but they all share certain things in common. When talking about autism, psychologists often talk about pervasive developmental disorder, Asperger's syndrome, which is high-functioning autism, and childhood disintegrative disorder. Those who fall within ASD often have difficulties with social interaction, communications, and behavior. So in social situations, individuals with ASD would have difficulties with making or keeping eye contact with others. Their facial expressions might be off or just not even be expressive at all. Uh, Body posture is off, whether they don't know how to stand or what to do with their body in social situations. They're just like kind of like awkwardly Mm -hmm. in there. Um, Difficulties with emotional signals like not reading others' emotions or being unaware of their own emotions or triggers as well. Difficulties with reciprocity, which is the give and take with other individuals. So it's like they'll have a conversation and just never let up to let the other person have a conversation, you know, just Mm -hmm. they're just talking at somebody. Mm -hmm. Difficulty sharing enjoyment in others' interests. So they may only be focused on their own interests and tend to also enjoy those interests like on their own as well. Like just they don't really want to do things with other people as much. 
not as it's not fun for them. Difficulties understanding others' emotions and feelings, just not knowing why you're getting all worked up by something they may have said or like why you're even enjoying a conversation the way that you are. And difficulties with being comforted by touch, like hugs, hand-holding, shoulder rubs. Comfort by touch is a sign that can be picked up earlier on in child development as well. Um, Another early catch would also be like when playing peekaboo with the child. Many babies laugh and smile or react somehow when playing peekaboo. So having no response could also be a sign that maybe your child has is on the spectrum. In the communication area, individuals with autism have difficulties in verbal and nonverbal areas like delayed or lack of talking. Uh, Taking turns in a conversation might be completely missed. Remaining engaged within a conversation, they may repeat a sound or a word that is heard in the conversation. And this is similar to echolalia, which is when they echo the exact words that someone else has just said. Um, They have trouble being a good listener. They don't also catch the humor or an innuendo in a conversation. So I think that's always tough too. They just like have no idea. When I say that about Sam, that teacher said that about him. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they tend to focus more on their self needs instead of the needs of others around them. In behavior area, in, in the behavior area, individuals with ASD focus on parts and pieces of things rather than the whole. They often develop intense, very narrow fields of interest, such as learning obsessively about computers, TV programs, movie schedules, lining objects in straight rows, lighthouses, or like collecting sticks, just like they just get real obsessive about something. They often develop a need for sameness and routines. Transitions are hard to handle. Some other behavior involves rocking motions, flapping, banging things back and forth. Um, They may also be hypersensitive to certain fabrics or types of food, or it might be on the other end where they don't show an awareness for any of those things, like certain textures or temperatures of something. They just, Mm -hmm. you're like, why don't you know how that feels? Or like, Mm -hmm. why isn't that bothering you? You know, when it should be. Um, Some individuals with ASD have sleeping problems, unusual sensory issues like realizing their own strength with maybe like going for a hug and it just like, or they're like going to tap somebody to, you know, like get their attention and they just like, it's almost painful what they're Mm -hmm. doing. They are unaware how strong they are Um, or the opposite. They might go to tap somebody to get their attention and they like barely touch them and they're just like, why aren't you like Mm -hmm. turning around? We also find that some individuals with ASD have trouble with activities of daily living, whether they are incapable of doing things for themselves or because they are constantly interrupting themselves from staying focused on certain everyday tasks. In higher functioning individuals, they might include having difficulties traveling or managing money or taking on certain management roles that require management in many different areas. Mm -hmm. Because ASD is a spectrum, we see individuals with low IQ to high IQs. So think of like Elon Musk Mm -hmm. or the Rain Man (laughs) who are high functioning and are very and are extremely gifted, um, especially in like in specific areas, too. Um, I have a friend who is on the spectrum and enjoys antique shopping, and he can look through like boxes of what looks like junk. And he could be specifically maybe looking for just 
like a pin. Like he was like, oh, I just want to like look through these pins yeah. and then pull out a piece that just looks like something that maybe broke off of something else mm-hmm. and be like, ooh, this would go to like this hot rod uh, car that I have up in my parents' attic that is missing this one piece that I remembered about like when I in my childhood. And if I put this piece on that piece, now this car is going to be worth like thousands of dollars. Oh, my God. And you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> How do you remember all this stuff? So that was that was wild being with him for that. <laughs> that is wild. Yeah. So in regards to our episode today, there is zero evidence that individuals with autism spectrum disorder are more likely to become violent versus those without Um, In actuality, it is more likely for those with autism spectrum disorder to become the victim of violence. When looking at violent individuals with autism spectrum disorder, like, say, those who are charged with offenses, like today, Mm -hmm. it's important to also take into account their upbringing or any other circumstances that might propel certain violent behavior. But that would also be the case with anybody that you bring on with or without this disorder. Yeah. So I think it's also important to mention, which I didn't write here, but Mm -hmm. that many people on the spectrum, well, not even many, they say that it's, it's actually a smaller percentage of them can show signs of aggression and it would okay. make sense because if they're having trouble communicating a certain way, that yeah, that's, that's frustrating, frustrating, right? Sure. So for those who uh, maybe get help or are diagnosed early on, they tend to go through programs that help them better communicate or better handle their feelings. And just yeah. like with any like angsty teen too, you know, like I yeah. think about just taking your kids or an angsty teen to learn to go to a therapist and just kind of learn how to communicate better with their peers or with mm-hmm. their family and to understand what feelings that they're having and going through. Um, so it's always better to have maybe caught your child on the spectrum sooner than later. But some of the people that we have seen maybe in the media that have that we've connected maybe some violent acts with being on the spectrum and have maybe having gone undiagnosed mm-hmm. could not that it's exactly that science, but it's the idea that they just never got their emotions in check. Mm-hmm. So I could see how somebody could maybe get very angry if they didn't get any help, but not right. necessarily. It could be frustrating. It could just be frustrating. Like, But, you know, there also is the counterpoint, the fact that, like, there are tons of people on the spectrum that I'm sure deal with frustrating instances every day, and they are not killing people. Oh, 100%. And so, and even anger, I just mean, like, just getting yeah. angry not or mad. And I was I'm just playing mad. devil's advocate exactly. with that because exactly. I know that is something that a lot of people will be thinking. 100%. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're not killing people, you know? Mm-hmm. And my feeling is, is if this lawyer is also saying, um, so he's using the term Asperger's, which it's just dated. I believe it's dated, but I also believe that I think that that's the term for the high functioning autism. Well, I think it's um, ASD1, right? Because that's what Courtney Love had. Right. There's I like think now they levels. have the number. Yeah, they have like. Yeah, they don't. They have up as to far five I, or something. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they use that term anymore, but yeah. uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not positive about that, but. 
<laughs> we're getting into a whole other conversation at the mm-hmm. beginning, but that's what that's that's what autism spectrum yeah. disorder okay. is. <laughs> so that is what. And again, I cannot tell you what happens during this trial because it has not occurred yet. But that is what his lawyer presents to any interviews. Well, he has Asperger and he is confused about his sexuality, which is setting up a defense that's like, well, he doesn't do well with social cues and didn't know if he was gay or not and didn't react well to a situation that he put himself in. I personally don't feel like that's an excuse even a little bit for what he went on to do. Definitely not an excuse. Right. Mm-hmm. I almost would argue that he would be more aware of who he was as a person. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the major question at this point in this case with anybody that's still poking around in it is, did Sam go out to that park with the intention Like he had Lord Blaze there just to kill him. He's like, I'm going to kill this guy. I'm going to kill this gay Jewish guy who I hate because I'm a Nazi. Or did he bring Blaze out there to fool around with him and then lose his mind and kill him? That is the only, is it one or the other that still exists? I mean, Sam is pleading not guilty, but it's a little wild that he's doing that at this point in time because like, there's so much evidence that points to the fact that you did it. Unless he's trying to angle eventually for an insanity defense, right. which is very difficult, as we have explored many times. Right. I don't know. And we will, of course, keep everyone updated on anything that, you know, that happens. It's I, Supposedly next month is the trial. So I will be keeping my eyes squarely on the news for anything that I can find about that. Most people, including the Bernsteins, firmly believe that this was a planned hate crime. And I tend to agree. It does seem like that. Mm -hmm. And Sam was celebrated all over the goddamn internet by neo-Nazis. They made t-shirts with his face on them saying that he killed (gasps) two birds with one stone. How awful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the one guy was like, yeah, he killed a gay Jew, so he did both. How it's are, gross. I mean, I feel like people should be in jail just for saying shit like that. I really agree with you, firmly. Like, you feels, can't, why are you allowed threat- to say it? That feels threatening yeah. and harmful. It feels just as dangerous as killing somebody because I feel like they are the reasons yep. that he... No, I agree. Felt comfortable. I would say not that he killed somebody, but that he felt extra comfortable to do so. And encouraged. Not even comfortable. He felt encouraged Encouraged, to do so. Awful. I totally agree. If you're saying that stuff, you should face consequences. It's not okay. So Sam, who was 20 years old at the time of the crime, although I thought he was 21. I have this conflict. I think he was 21. uh, Faces a sentence of life without parole if found guilty. Good. He had initially faced a maximum sentence of 26 years in prison for the murder and the weapons charge, but then they added the hate crime enhancements on, and now it's life without parole. Sam's bail was initially set at $5 million, but at a hearing in November of 2018, the judge decided to deny him bail altogether, remanding him to custody pending trial. Mm -hmm. Due to the COVID crisis, Sam has remained in confinement since his last court appearance in 2018. His trial was tentatively scheduled to begin sometime in 2021, 
though through a series of postponements, it has been pushed back to July 15th of 2022. So let's cross our fingers that that happens soon. Right. And keep our eyes open. We will obviously update when more information is available. The Bernsteins, for their part, though, refused to rest. They knew their son would change the world the moment he came into it, and they intend on holding that to be true even in his absence. Hmm. They began a movement called Blaze It Forward, which is a great name. Um, They have like a Facebook page and a website. This movement is to, quote, make the world a better place with one intentional act of kindness at a time, as well as they, um, they founded the Blaze Memorial Fund. And the statement on their website about this fund is, quote, those who wish to honor Blaze and his memory may make a contribution to the Blaze Bernstein Memorial Fund at the Jewish Community Foundation of Orange County. The Blaze Bernstein Memorial Fund will provide support to organizations that Blaze would have liked to support in addition to charities that work to protect children from violence and that foster emotional health, such as the Orangewood Foundation. In addition, you may select a gift to the Blaine Bernstein Memorial Scholarship Endowment at the Jewish Community Foundation of Orange County. This endowment was seeded by a generous gift from Brad and Kim Cohen with the primary intent to fund a scholarship for the Orange County college-bound seniors who have demonstrated how they have overcome adversity and contributed in a positive way to their community. So they do amazing charity work. Blaze's mother continues to speak on his behalf. They led, they've led pride parades. They, they're out there doing the work. Um, Blaze's mother is also published in a bunch of places, um, speaking on what happened to her son and how we can support others and how she can wring a little bit of good out of what she has experienced in life. They are blazing it forward every moment, and we hope that all of us can take a page out of their book and do the same. So I'd like to end this episode with a quote from Blaze's mother, Jeannie. She said, and this is, I believe, in a tweet. Finally, my thoughts are, revenge is empty. It will never bring back my son. My only hopes are that he will never have the opportunity to hurt anyone else again, and that something meaningful can come from the senseless act of Blaze's murder. Now do good for Blaze Bernstein. So. I love that. Yeah. Go do good. Toast. Yeah. Um, well, I just had, I had one final thought sure. that I wanted to bring up. Almost, I feel like I should have added that at the end of my autism piece. So I just wanted to get like okay. a little thing out. And then we could talk more about it in postmortem as well. Sure. But we don't know that that's what Sam would have. We don't. Have. We don't have a so diagnosis. Be, we have a statement from a lawyer. Right. So based on, you know, my research of it, it's, you know, definitely plausible that this is what he has. Sure. And it might be a nice little button for them to use. Mm-hmm. But. What I am more interested in also knowing is if that ends up being true Mm -hmm. is just trying to maybe better understand, does that then actually him having autism in any spectrum make him more susceptible to some sort of brainwashing? And then what road that leads you to? And then, uh, yeah, I guess I am interested to then see where that goes with the trial. As well. Yeah. I mean, that could also lead to, one would hope, preventative measures exactly. from things like that happening in the future. Exactly. Which I think he threw up so many red flags and I cannot believe no adults in his life caught them. Yeah. I think that's the main thing. And I and when we're, you know, on our socials screaming for 
better like mental health care. Right. This is one of those reasons why. Yeah. So it's it's hard for me to necessarily be like that's a ridiculous, you know, case for them to make, but also like it kind of also proves our point as to why we need yeah. better health cares. But so that'll definitely be I mean I'm just I can't wait for the trial to start. I know me too. I'm glad that it's soon. Yeah. So okay, so toast. toast. So obviously, it's a blaze. Blaze. Beautiful blaze. Oh, like I really want to be his friend. Oh, me too. To blaze. To blaze. And to his parents, Gideon and Jeannie, who have really gone out there and done the work since they lost their son Mm -hmm. in the worst way. So cheers to them. I like that one. That was a good one. And to Bo for having, like, the greatest name is Sister Bo. And Jay. We can't leave him out. Oh, and Jay. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. All the Bernsteins. They all have great names. Yes, cheers to them. And if we believed that most people were inherently good and trusted that there were some lines they wouldn't dare cross, we would be dead. Thank you for listening to the We Would Be Dead podcast. Hit subscribe now to never miss an episode. Rate and review our show on iTunes. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at WouldBeDeadPod. And join our Facebook group to discuss the podcast and more. Those who wish to honor Blaze and his memory may make a contribution to the Blaze Bernstein Memorial Fund at the Jewish Community Foundation of Orange County. The Blaze Bernstein Memorial Fund will provide support to organizations that Blaze would have liked to support, in addition to charities that work to protect children from violence and that foster emotional health, such as the Orangewood Foundation. In addition, you may select a gift to the Blaine Bernstein Memorial Scholarship Endowment at the Jewish Community Foundation of Orange County. This endowment was seeded by a generous gift from Brad and Kim Cohen with the primary intent to fund a scholarship for the Orange County college-bound seniors who have demonstrated how they have overcome adversity and contributed in a positive way to their community.